Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the book of James, entitled, Wisdom for Life. Well, do take your, your Bibles and turn to the book of James. We're going back to our series in James. Um, in my Bible is on page 1107, but that's probably no help to you at all. Uh, but it's near the back of the Bible, the book of James, and George is going to come forward and read the Bible passage to us today. The Bible reading is from James chapter 4 and verses 1 to 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. So do not have become because you ask of God. When you ask, you do not receive, but you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit as cause to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Well, we're going back to our series through the book of James, uh, where James, Jesus' little brother, that's Jesus' half-brother, gives us wisdom for life, practical wisdom for life. And today he's going to give us wisdom on how to deal with conflicts. And he asks us a question in James chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever seen a couple fighting and, and wondered to yourself, why are they fighting? Or you've seen two people who were business partners or two people who were good friends and, and now they've fallen out and they're enemies. And you're wondering, what caused that? Or, or you see family members, even family members, who, who refuse to speak to each other. Or you've been watching the, the news on TV and you've seen all the conflicts and all the evil within the world. And you're wondering with yourself, what caused that? What happened? Of course, if you ask the one side, they would say, well, they said this and they, they did that. And if you ask the other side, they would say, no, no, no. They said this and they did that first. And so James asks us the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He is trying to get, well, what is the root cause to all conflicts? What is the root cause to all the evil that we see? And he's, he's kind of in, in, in saying, isn't it this? He's inviting us to come along and consider this. Isn't it this? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He's suggesting that the, the root cause for all conflict is the, our desires. 
our selfish, self-centered desires and passions, our greed. You see, before there's a problem out there, there's a problem in here. He continues in verse 2, he says, You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. The reason why there's so many conflicts in the world is because people are selfish, self-centered, and greedy. We want what is best for us. We want what we want, and we want to get it, and and we want to live for ourselves. We want what's best for us. Or we become jealous. We want what other people have. We want to take what they have so we can have it, or we want to take what they have simply so that they can't have it. I mean, if we can't have it, then they can't have it. Now, of course, none of us think we are selfish and self, self-centered. We all think we're selfless. I used to think I was a pretty decent guy, pretty decent chap. I was pretty selfless. I used to live for God and live for others. But then I got married and started living with another person. Suddenly I just realized that I like things done my way. I like my way. I like what's best for me. And Victoria was having none of it. After a number of years of being married and, and a number of years of being humbled, once again, I thought I was a selfless person. I, I was now truly selfless. Then we had kids. After a sleepless night, I finally make myself a lovely cup of filtered coffee. I'm just about to sit down and enjoy my coffee. And then Victoria would ask, would you like to change Hannah's nappy? No. No, I would not like to change Hannah's nappy. I would like to sit right here and enjoy my cup of coffee in peace. I really do like my little comforts and my time. We all like to think we're selfless, but actually we're pretty selfish. And, and so often my ego and my desires will rub against other people's egos and desires, and the result is conflict. And the conflict doesn't just happen out there in the world. The conflict happens in the church. James is writing to the church. And so often in church, the conflicts are over such trivial things. This person likes filter coffee, that person likes instant coffee, or there's a complaint about the music, or, or, or there's a disagreement over the noisy children. Trivial things. And often, the real reason for the conflict isn't the current debate, but it goes back 10, 15 years ago, when someone's ego got hurt because they couldn't get what they want, because they were blocked by someone else who got what they wanted instead. And they still haven't forgiven each other. It's these selfish desires, these self-centered desires that lead to all conflict. And we all know it's true. You're all sitting there going, oh yes, this is true. So and so. It's just like so and so. It's not about so and so. It's about you. And it's about me. We're all like And so James writes, in verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend 
of the world becomes an enemy of God. Okay, what does he mean when he says you become a friend of the world? Well, first we need to understand the power of friendships. Friends will influence your values and beliefs probably more than anything else. Peer pressure will influence what you believe and your values probably more than anything else. Just consider teenagers, for example, and how peer pressure forms their values and beliefs about how they'll behave, what they will wear, what music they like. And if you've been friends with the world, you're allowing the world to influence your values and your beliefs. The world says you deserve what is best. You deserve to be first. You must be ambitious. You must be driven. You must fight for your rights. You must live for yourself. And if we just sort of go along with the crowd, if we just, if we just drift along, you will be influenced by the values and the beliefs of the world. And it just makes one more and more selfish. And this was happening within the church. That's why James says, he accuses them. He says, you adulterous people. Now, why does he accuse them of adultery? Because they're claiming to be people of God, but they're actually friends with the world. They're claiming to be living for God and living God's way of living for other people, but they're actually living for themselves. They they, they claim to love God, but they actually love God themselves. And James says that's spiritual adultery. Married to God but having an ongoing affair with the world. You see, God desires an exclusive friendship. Verse 5, he says, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? God desires an exclusive friendship. God desires that you would live for Him and and live His way of living for other people, not living for yourself. See, there's a choice here. There's a contrast here. You either are friends with God or you're friends with the world. You, You are either living for God and other people, that's humility, or you are living for yourself, that's pride. So there's a contrast, humility or pride. Friendship with God, friendship with the world. Living for God and others, living for yourself. And if you choose to live for yourself, that means you're not living for God, and that means you've made yourself an enemy of God. God hasn't made you His enemy. You've turned your back on God. You've made God your enemy. Okay, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... Thanks a lot, Mike. You know, I, I've, I've come here this morning feeling okay about myself. I wanted a bit of encouragement. Now I feel rotten. Thanks. I mean, yeah, I know uh, we're all selfish. We're all self-centered. Uh, I, I know that. But this, this selfless living is just so hard. It, it, it just doesn't come naturally to me. I, I just can't do it. Okay, well, just hang in there. Up until now, James has been diagnosing the problem. And it's a big problem. But here comes the solution. He says in verse 6, But God gives us more grace. The problem's big, 
But God's goodness, God's grace is even bigger. He goes on, he says, That is why scripture says, God opposed the proud, but shows favor, grace to the humble. If the problem is pride, us living for ourselves, then the solution is humility, living for God and others. Humility. How do we achieve this humility? How do we gain this humility? Now, initially we have a problem, because often when we hear the word humility, we think of someone who has an inferiority complex, someone who has a very low self-esteem, someone who's always down on themselves, someone who's always feeling sorry for themselves, someone who always feels a failure, always feels guilty. That is not humility. That is actually another form of pride. Why is that pride? Because you're always focusing on yourself. You're always thinking about yourself. Poor me. Look how bad things are going for me. Poor me. Uh, feeling sorry for, sorry for yourself. You are just as much self-absorbed as somebody who is arrogant, pushy, and, and full of self-confidence. It's just as much a form of pride and it's just as destructive to community and leads to just as much conflict as someone with a superiority complex. It's a form of pride. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not focusing on yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking more about God and thinking more about other people. That's humility. Humility is coming to the realization, it's not all about me. It's not all about me. Okay, that's humility. That's humility, how do we get it? How do we develop humility? Firstly, submit yourself to God. Verse 7 says, submit yourself then to God. Now we all like to be our own authority. We all like to be our own boss. Humility is letting God be the boss, letting God have the authority. Humility is saying, okay, Lord, you can be the Lord of my life. I submit my life to you. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And when there's a conflict, when there's a bit of tension that you're having with someone else, rather than feeling uh, uh, the need to fight your corner, rather than saying, I'm going to fight my corner, you're going to just sort of stop, stand back and say, no, I'm going to submit this to God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to hand this issue over to God and allow God to sort this out. I'm not going to demand my rights. I'm not going to fight for my corner. I'm not going to wallow in self-pity. I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to hand this over to God. Submitting to God is being more concerned about pleasing God than you are about pleasing yourself. More concerned about pleasing God than you are about pleasing yourself. And when you're at a place where, where your greatest desire is to please God, it's very easy to submit to God and to be humble. Secondly, resist the devil. Verse 7 continues, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now we all have selfish and self-centered desires and passions within us. And we live in a world that is constantly influencing us to become even more selfish and greedy. But the root cause, the source, the inspiration of all the selfishness 
is the devil himself, is evil in person. And we all tempted at from time to time to, to, to be selfish, to do selfish things. Even Peter, Jesus' closest friend, was tempted to do the selfish thing. Can you remember when Jesus was telling all his disciples, he's telling all his disciples that he's about to go to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, he's going to be killed. He's going to die. When Peter hears this, he immediately objects, and he says, no way, I will never allow that to happen. Jesus turns around and looks straight at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. All the other disciples are like, that's, that's not his name. His name's Peter. Doesn't Jesus know his name? Of course Jesus knows his name. What Jesus is implying over here is that Satan, the devil, has inspired Peter to be selfish and self-centered and greedy. You see, the reason why Peter was objecting, the reason why Peter didn't want Jesus to go and die wasn't because he had a great concern for Jesus, but he had self-interest. He had an invested interest in Jesus going to Jerusalem and not dying, but becoming king, because he was in line to become the king's right-hand man. And Jesus is identifying that it was the devil who inspired that selfish and self-centered desire, and Jesus is rebuking that self-centered, selfish desire on Peter's behalf, and he's inviting Peter to do the same. He's giving Peter and all of us a model on how we can resist selfish and, uh, and self-centered desires. Whenever a selfish idea or selfish thought comes, pops into your mind, identify its source and tell the devil to get lost. Look, as Christians, we are in a conflict. But our conflict is not with each other. Our conflict is not against other people. Our conflict is against the devil. So often when Victoria and I have been in a conflict, or even if there's been a bit of a tension at church, whenever we've been in a conflict, as soon as we've identified the real enemy, as soon as we realize we aren't enemies, it's the devil's enemy who's causing this conflict, who wants to cause a rift, who's inspiring all our selfishness. As soon as we've identified who the real enemy is, almost immediately the conflict has disappeared. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to realize that we are family. We are not enemies. But there is an enemy, and we need to resist him, and he will flee. Thirdly, draw near to God. Not only must we resist the devil, but we need to draw near to God. Verse 8 says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. We need to come. The way we overcome being friends with the world is by becoming friends with God. By spending time with God, by listening to God, by talking to God, by getting to know God personally through worship and prayer and reading our Bible daily, becoming captivated by God. James writes earlier on in verses 2 and 3, he says, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When you're in a situation where you, 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 you're desiring stuff, you're in a conflict, uh, you, you want something, don't fight about it, don't quarrel about it, pray about it. Ask God for it. So often when there's a conflict, normally always when there's a conflict, people are not praying. They, they're ignoring God and they're focusing on themselves, their wants, their desires and their rights. 
And if they are praying, it's not real prayer. They're not having fellowship with God. They're merely using God like a genie. Just say the right words, the magic formula, and you get whatever you want. That's not prayer. Prayer is not about getting what you want. Prayer is about wanting what God wants. It's about drawing near to God and realigning your world and your desires with God's desires. See, in real prayer, we come to God with all our wants and our desires, and we're honest about it, and we say, God, look, I want this. I really want this. Please give this to me. But by the end of the prayer, we're praying like Jesus, and we say, not my will be done, but your will be done. The first thing that prayer changes is you. You become more like Jesus. You become more selfless. That's why people in a conflict don't want to pray. Because they know if they pray, they're not going to get what they want. All that's going to happen is they're going to come, they're going to, come to the realization how selfish and self-centered they are. And so we need to draw near to God in worship and prayer. Fourthly, confess your selfishness. Verse 8 says, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, when you draw near to God, you will come to the realization that you are selfish. The humble response is to confess it, to admit it, not to wallow in self-pity, but to admit that I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven and loved by God. And therefore, I'm able to wash my hands. That's changed my behavior. Stop being selfish. I'm able to purify my heart. That's changed my attitude and my mind. Stop desiring selfish things and start becoming single-minded totally devoted to God, totally loving God with all your heart. Then it goes on in verse 9, it says, Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. See, when you're living for yourself, when you're just following your own desires and passions, it's very easy to gloat and laugh. But God is weeping. We need to take our selfishness seriously. We need to confess it, and then we need to ask God to help us to turn away from it. Verse 8, uh, sorry, 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Great promise. Humble yourself. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Confess your selfishness. Humble yourself. And God will lift you up. You see, when we start dying to ourselves and living for God and other people, then God will lift us up. And we will begin to experience true life in all its fullness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we are selfish and self-centered, and we are greedy. Father, so often we just want to live for ourselves. We're so focused on ourselves all the time. We always look to our interests and our wants and what's best for us. Father, won't you forgive us? Won't you help us to become truly humble? Won't you help us to become less focused on ourselves and start taking our eyes off ourselves and start to look to you, God? and to look to other people. Won't you inspire us by Jesus? Father, help us to become so captivated with you that our whole desire would be just to please you, to please you with everything we do, and all the time to be pleasing you. So, Father, we need your help. And we thank you that you say your grace is more, that your grace, your goodness, is more, is more and more than the problem and more than we need that you can forgive us, you can empower us by your Holy Spirit and enable us to become the people you want us to be. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.